All right, let's pray, and then we'll turn our attention to the screens for a brief video, then we'll look at the Word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy as we have already prayed. Lord, we ask that even now, as we humbly approach your holy and perfect Word, that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Would you think with my mind and speak with my mouth that my words and my thoughts might be cast aside and only what you would have us to hear would be spoken? Lord, would you hide me behind the precious cross of Calvary? Lord, we come to you this morning and come to your word seeking to be comforted, seeking to be encouraged, Lord, for inspiration and motivation for those of us who are downcast but also lord we understand that we are sinners before you a very holy god and so as you are encouraging us as you are motivating us would you also challenge us would you also convict us would you also cause us to turn from our sin and turn towards you we ask all this in the name of the father and son and holy spirit amen Amen. Church, if you would direct your attention to the screens for a brief video, and then we'll look at the word of the Lord together. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one in our church, we've learned that there's nothing that we can do that is quite as effective at reaching people as simply equipping our members to carry the gospel to people outside of the church. It's not programs that reach people. It's not mailers that reach people. It's not sermons that reach people. It's people that reach people. And it is individual people um, having a relationship with one person that they're using that relational bridge to, to share the gospel with them and live the gospel out in front of them. That is the heart of the Great Commission. It's multiplying disciples, making multiplying disciples. So my one is uh, a guy that is one of my uh, high school daughter's teachers. Uh, we just really hit it off. He's not from the United States. Uh, he's new to Christianity, but he's just got a ton of questions. And in the last six months or so, he's accepted two of my invitations to come. And I come to one of our church services. I invited him recently to, to begin reading the Gospel of John with me, which he, uh, he said I sat down to read the Gospel of John, just a chapter or two. He said by the time I, I got up from my chair, I read the entire thing. And he showed me he had these just pages and pages of, of notes and questions that he said I can't wait to discuss. He's agreed to start coming to church regularly now, so I'm praying that the day will soon come when I will see him express faith in Christ. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Church, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series of looking at one-on-one -on -one encounters that Jesus has with people throughout the Gospels. We looked at Paul and some of his encounters one-on-one -on -one with people, how he shared the Gospel. But over and over again, we have seen over these last several weeks how Jesus makes special trips just for one person. Every single person matters to Jesus. So this morning, with all that in mind, if you would turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of John, you'll find the New Testament towards the back half of your Bible will be in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. 
We'll be reading John chapter 9. We'll be reading it in its entirety, verses 1 through 41. This is an incredible story that bears reading the whole chapter. And so, as you find your place in sacred scripture, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? Feel free to follow along with us in your own copy of Scripture and one from the back of the pew or on the screen if you need a digital copy as well. We'll look together now at John chapter 9. The Word of the Lord says, As he passed by, that he being Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and to beg? Some said, Well, it is he. Others said, No, but, but he's like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and received my sight. They said to him, Well, where is he? He said, Well, I I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they again So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents, the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see his parents answered? Well, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but How he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. You can ask him. He's of legal age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said he is of age. Ask him. So... For the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Well, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where it comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And so they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a powerful and captivating story that we find in John chapter 9. Jesus has been teaching and talking, and in John chapter 8, he's been confronted by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees spoke to him and called him names like a second grader or first grader might call another kid names. You know, the common things that they might say. You have a demon, but you're, you're, you're worshiping the devil. And he says, oh, well, I am, uh, I am the one who saw Abraham. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And when the Jews heard that, when they heard his claim of having seen Abraham, which really frustrated them, but that's not necessarily what Jesus said. They got frustrated that he said he saw Abraham, but what they missed was that he said Abraham saw him. He is making one of the most direct and front, confrontational, straightforward declarations that he is of God and he is God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And so all the Pharisees and all their cronies, they grabbed as many stones as they could to stone Jesus. But you know, you just can't stone the rock of ages, right? So Jesus slips through their midst and nobody knows where he goes. Then we pick up here in verse one of chapter nine. And as he passed by, there was a man born blind. 
And this man was a fixture at this point in the road. This man sat or stood and begged, and his only sustenance was the generosity of those who may have had more than what they needed. And so he was a fixture at this place. Everyone growing up would have seen him there begging and asking for help. I don't know about you guys, but there seems to be a a pattern when you run into people on the side of the road or at intersections who are holding up signs. And I knew specifically when I lived in Birmingham, the people that would hold up signs and they would ask for help or money or whatever you could give them, they almost always sat in the same spot. And, And I don't know if they fought one another over which spot was the best, but you got to where you expected to see certain people in certain places asking for help. This is the same thing here in the text. This man is a fixture every single day because that's his only means of sustenance. Notice that this man is not like blind Bartimaeus from Mark chapter 10. He's not the one who hears that Jesus is coming and hollers out and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's Bartimaeus. That's another blind man. That's another story. But this man is just standing there. We have no indication that he made any outreach, any effort, any call to Jesus or his disciples. Jesus saw a man who was blind and in need of help. His disciples saw a moral dilemma. His disciples approach, and as they see this man, they say, Okay, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And what a wonderful, teachable moment. You realize the man's blind, not deaf. So don't forget that he hears everything that they're saying, not two feet from him. As they pass by, here are the disciples that go, Hey, Jesus, here's this blind guy, and uh, I'm just curious, did he sin that he was born blind, or did his parents sin that he was born blind? Even the disciples are aware that this man has been a fixture on this spot for some time. And instead of thinking like Christians, they are thinking like They believe in karma. They believe that if this man is blind, if something bad happens, then he must be a bad person. Because their thinking in this moment is that bad things only happen to bad people and good things only happen to good people. They oversimplified every nuance that there is in how the world works. But they needed some sort of explanation. And this is a common belief in Jewish society in this time, is that if somebody had some sort of ailment, if you came down with leprosy, then you must have been embezzling money from your company or something. You must have been doing something that caused you to come down with leprosy or whatever problem or illness that you may have. And so the disciples assume, like anyone would have assumed, that this man must be some sort of sinner, as everyone this man's entire life assumed. Imagine living your whole life, you've been born blind, you've never seen anything, and you stand at what you assume is the side of the road, you feel with your feet, you tell by the sounds of people walking by, and you hold your hand out begging for anything anybody's willing to give. But it's not just that you're begging for anything that anybody's willing to give. It's that everybody that walks by assumes you're a terrible person. Imagine that if everybody that walked by assumed that your name was on the list of being a predator towards children. Whether they knew that to be true or not, they just assumed it. 
everyone who saw this man assumed, well, either he's a terrible person or his parents are a terrible person because otherwise he would not have been born blind. But that is not true in what Scripture teaches us. Bad things can happen to good people and good things can happen to bad people. And if we're honest, none of us are good. The Bible teaches us consistently there is no one righteous. No, not one. The best righteousness that we can come up with are like filthy rags to the Lord. And that's a very nice and quaint way to say it, but it's, it's used toilet tissue is the exact breakdown of that phrase, filthy rags. So there's no one righteous. No, not one. We all deserve nothing good. And yet we have a God who is sovereign. To say that God is sovereign means that there's nothing that happens that's outside of his control. If we don't believe that God is sovereign, then that means that bad things happen that the Lord can do nothing about. And that's not true, right? Our God is in control. COVID is not something that sprouted up and surprised the Lord and creator of all the universe, right? He knew about it. He allowed for it to happen. You have an extremely challenging theological problem if you say that God is not in control because that means bad things happen that God cannot prevent as opposed to saying that God is in charge and sometimes God allows for bad things to happen so that we might learn, so that we might grow, so that a just punishment is doled out, so that we might glorify him in a different and better way. And that's the story with this man. Jesus answers them and corrects them almost immediately. He says in verse 3, it wasn't this man who sinned, it wasn't his parents who sinned. He was born blind for this moment right here. And man, you just got to imagine the disciples are on the edge of their seat. Everybody around Jesus knows, oh, but he's about to do something miraculous. He just said it was, he was born that God might be glorified right now. Here comes Jesus. He's going to go, boom, have your sight. He's going to hit him on the head. He's going to touch him on the eyes. He's going to say, you're healed. And it's going to be magical. It's going to be awesome. And then Jesus turns and he spits in the ground. I didn't see it coming. I mean, the first time that I read through this, I really did not expect for Jesus' next move after verse 3 to be to spit in the ground. I don't think his disciples expected that he was going to spit in the ground. Nobody around him saw this coming. And I can guarantee you the blind man did not see this coming. Can you imagine being the blind man and you hear this discussion going on right here beside you, the disciples and Jesus, and Jesus says, this man was born blind for the glory of God. And you're like, wow, is something about to happen? Man, Jesus, that, that sounds great. What, what are you about to do? Jesus, why does it, why does it sound like you're hocking a loogie, man? What's, that's, not a, that's not the sound I was expecting to hear. That's not, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? And then he makes mud out of his spit rubs it on this guy's eyes and says, go to the pool of Siloam. And John tells us that means sent. And if you wash in the pool of Siloam, you'll be able to see. Jesus didn't make it easy on this guy at all. Do you think he has any clue where the pool of Siloam is? He's never seen a sunset, a sunrise, a flower, the blue sky. He's never seen anything. He has no idea where the pool of Siloam is. He's going to have to get somebody to grab him by the hand and walk him there. 
And even if he could find his way there using his other senses, now there's mud gunked up on his face, could be clogging up his nose, might have accidentally got some in his ears. Like, Jesus didn't make it easy on this guy. Blind Bartimaeus, he said, your faith has made you well. And then Bartimaeus left seeing. That's in Mark chapter 10. You can look it up for yourself. Bartimaeus calls out and says, Jesus, I know you can heal me. Will you heal me? And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And then Bartimaeus walks off seeing. Not so for this guy. And man, what drama erupts after this guy finds his way to the pool of Siloam. Not for a moment does he wait. doesn't matter how difficult it is for him to get to the pool of Siloam. Jesus said, go and wash. He is going and he will wash. And then controversy breaks out in the community. I want you to imagine everybody is so absolutely bumfuzzled by this. Everybody is so confused at what is happening that they go to the Pharisees. Have you, have you noticed we still do this? The Pharisees were like the resident experts. Watch any news program for five minutes or more, and you'll notice they're going to have an interview with the resident expert. Like if a big tornado comes and tears through your town, they're going to show up for the local pastor and say, Hi, local pastor, what does this tornado mean for all of your participants here at the church, all of the congregants? What's going on? How do we make sense of this? We go to the expert. COVID-19, it seems to be doing this, that, and the other. You as the medical professional, what is your opinion of what's going on? And then they tell you this is the law and how it is, even though it's just their opinion. Isn't that what still happens today? Everybody's confused. This man was blind. We know he's blind. We saw him here every day, but now he sees. So what do we do with this? Who do we talk to about this? Well, of course, they go to the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees put the man on trial. And I love that this man three different times professes who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and that he believes in Jesus. Going so far as to preach a sermon to the Pharisees. Oh man, it's incredible the way this guy responds. They bring him before the Pharisees and they say, hey, what happened to you? Well, Jesus walked by, spit, he made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and then he told me to go wash, and now I can see. Who is this Jesus guy? He's an incredible prophet. Well, they fuss with one another. He did this on the Sabbath day. Nobody that's from God would break the Sabbath like this. But see, Jesus, he never broke a single law in his whole life. He didn't break or violate the Sabbath. He broke the laws that the Pharisees had enshrined around the law to keep the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was so holy to them that even though it says don't do any work, they began to specify exactly what was work and what was not work. And you see, there's so many steps that you can take on the Sabbath before it's work. And I'm just telling you, if you had a Fitbit in that time and you were trying to get your steps in on the Sabbath, you'd be in a, in a rough spot because there were only so many steps that you could take. And then you had to sit down right where you were because you were in danger of almost breaking the Sabbath, of almost working. There was meals and food that had to be prepared. And so they would say, you've got to prepare that food the day, the evening beforehand. You can't knead dough on the Sabbath because that would be work. Well, it's interesting that Jesus spits in the mud and spits in the dirt and creates mud. The Pharisees would have classified him mixing the saliva and the dirt together to make mud as kneading dough. He tells the blind man to go to the pool of Siloam. And I have a hunch that from where the blind man was to the pool of Siloam was just a few steps outside of where the Pharisees had set up 
You can only walk so far before you violate our laws and get close to violating the Sabbath. So maybe it makes a little more sense why Jesus would have spit in the mud for this man and why he would have sent him to wash in the pool of Siloam because he wanted to show the Pharisees a thing or two. And so some Pharisees are over there going, he kneaded, he made dough, and then he sent this man walking and he healed on the Sabbath. You can't do that. And somebody from God would never do that. And then you got these other Pharisees going, guys, I've read everything in the Old Testament. This has never happened before. There is no way that somebody could be from God and open the eyes and not open the eyes of a blind man. Like, there's no way Jesus is not from God. Because nobody's ever opened the eyes of the blind. You can scour through all of the Old Testament. There's some incredible miracles that happen. The Red Sea is parted. Waters flow out of rocks in the desert. Manna shows up in the mornings. Dead people are brought back to life in the Old Testament. But not one occurrence of somebody having their sight restored. So up to this point, nobody had ever been given back their sight. And so one group of Pharisees is going, there's no way this guy's not from God because we've never seen a miracle like this. So what do they come to? What's their conclusion? Ah, it's a hoax. This guy was a setup. He was there planted. He was somebody in the audience that wasn't really an audience member. And the magician called him up front. And it looks all innocent to everybody else. But it's just a smoke screen. This man wasn't born blind, so they call his parents. His parents come in and they say, sit down right here. Excuse me, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Can you tell us anything else? No. He's old enough. Talk to him. What wonderful, loving parents You've been dragged into court for your kids on account of your kids who are being falsely and wrongly accused. And you stand there and you're before the court and they're asking you these questions. And once they get past the first two questions, you go, well, you know, they are of age. You could just talk to them. I mean, like, really, we're not involved in this case. We're just going to be over here and and we're going to hope everything turns out. Love you, Junior. Make mommy and daddy proud. It's going to be okay. And you don't help them at all. They throw their kid completely under the bus. Hey, yeah, we know he was born blind. We know he can see now. It's all we can tell you. Everything else, just ask him. And so they go back to him. And man, I just he gets he gets a little bit snide, gets a little bit snarky, gets a little bit saucy, you know. And I, I'm I'm here for it all day. These Pharisees are getting put in their place by a person that they considered to be the worst of the worst sinners. How else could he have been blind? He says, oh, I know why you want me to tell you about Jesus. You want to be his disciple also. What does that say about this man? Already, he considers himself a disciple of Christ. Has he seen Jesus at this point? No. Has he seen Jesus face to face? No. Has he heard his voice call out to him? Yeah. Jesus initiates salvation. God always initiates salvation. We can't argue with that because God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. That's initiating salvation. But not only that, we see that Jesus makes these special trips. He traveled just this way knowing his disciples would bring up this question about this man. But then the call for salvation demands a response of obedience from us. 
This man considered himself a disciple because he believed Jesus. How do we know that he believed Jesus? Well, because Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll have your sight. And that man didn't stand there on the corner with mud on his face. He figured out by whatever means necessary how to get to the pool of Siloam to wash and see. And then everybody that came up to him, just like in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, this man cannot stop talking about, you don't understand, I was blind, but now I see. Everybody he comes in contact with. That's why it's such a controversy. And then he says, oh, I see you want to be his disciple also. And maybe you ask, well, when did this man become Jesus' disciple? I would argue the moment that he took that first step towards the pool of Siloam. It takes belief in Jesus that is so powerful that it causes us to obey him. He said, go. And the man went. He didn't ask Jesus, but, 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 but I'm but, but blind. I don't, I, don't know, I don't even know how to get there. He just said, somebody help me get there. He said, if I go, I'll be healed. Just help me get to this pool. He took Jesus at his word. He believed. Jesus initiated salvation. This man responded in obedience. And now, I think with all correctness, considers himself a disciple of Jesus. And when they tell him, give glory to God, that's not... That's not one of those phrases where they say, give glory to God. Don't, don't take glory for yourself. Give glory to God. This is, you got caught and your mama and daddy said, now you better fess up. You better tell me the truth. I know you're lying, so you better tell me the truth. When they say, give glory to God, what happened? And he says, I already told you guys. He put mud on my face. I washed. And now I see. And they want to do everything that they can to undermine this man's experience of Jesus. But you know, in John chapter 9 and today, nobody can invalidate your experience with Jesus. Nobody can come along and tell you, no, 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 you didn't hear Jesus calling your name. No, 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 you you didn't hear or feel that tug on your heart that drew you to repentance, that you responded in obedience. You didn't feel the Lord leading you into the mission field. You didn't feel the Lord calling you to serve where you're working. You, you didn't, that's not right. That's, that's not accurate. God can't be real. You didn't really experience that. No, I did. And there's nothing you can say to change it. I was just as blind as this man. I know I'll wear glasses, but I'm not that blind. I need them. Things are fuzzy without them, but I can make my way around. But I want you to know, my story is this man's story. I was blind. I could not see. I was dead. And God breathed life into me. And I don't care how against God somebody may be. When God has breathed life into your soul, When God has opened your blind eyes, nobody can refute that. Because you were blind, but now you see. And sometimes I I don't think I go around with the realization that I wouldn't be able to see without Jesus. Sometimes I forget that I used to be blind. 
And the way that I tell people about Jesus, if I tell them at all, revolves around a set of, well, uh, there's this and there's that. Tell our stories. How were you blind and now you see? Tell them. How were you dead and now you're alive? Tell them. He put mud on my face. I went, I washed, and now I can see. It's all because of Jesus. I was blind, I was dead, I was headed for hell, and now I am alive and I can see, and it's all because of Jesus. That has more power and impact than we ever give credit to it. But you see, the end of this passage tells us something. Telling our story and sharing the gospel has two possible effects. Look with me at the very end of this passage. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. You see, the power of the gospel has the power to open blind eyes and to bring the dead back to life. God came in His Son, Jesus, that blind eyes might be opened. But for those who think they already know, For those who think they've already got God figured out, whether they believe there is a God or whether they believe there's not, the message of the gospel has the reverse effect on them and causes them to close their eyes even tighter. For the Pharisees of our world, the gospel doesn't draw them unto the cross. It sends them further into their rejection because they're so certain they've got it all figured out. So I want us to be ready and be aware that when we share our story, it can have both of those effects. When you share the gospel with somebody, it can have the effect of them deciding that we are foolish and the gospel is foolishness and they know better and they close their eyes tighter. But it can also have the effect that this man had. Look with me again in verse 35. This is just... This encounter is just the most precious thing of this chapter. Jesus heard they cast him out. He already knew. And he found him. Second time Jesus found this man. Jesus doesn't just find you once. He'll find you again and again and again. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Can you imagine being this blind man? And that voice is so familiar, right? This sounds so much like that guy that rubbed mud on my face, but I'm just not sure. Do you believe in the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite title for himself? And in verse 36, he answered with such hope and optimism in his voice. He says, who, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Imagine that day when we stand before the Lord and you say, I've believed in the Son of Man. Lord, I believe in You. And He says, now you've seen Him and it is He who is speaking to you. And our eyes are opened fully and we behold the glory of God. And He says, now you can see Me as I am. And we will respond just like this blind man. Lord, I believe. And we will worship Him. And we will worship Him from then until the end of eternity. 
You see, the most incredible part about Ricky's baptism this morning is that Ricky's story of being adopted is my story of being adopted because I was a part of a family that hated God and God adopted me in spite of my sin and brought me from those who are far away to those who are near. The same thing is true with this blind man. His story is my story. And I hope it's your story as well. That each of you can think back to a moment where you knew you were blind, but you heard that voice speak. And you responded in obedience to that voice. You believed in the only Son of the one true and living God. In His death, in His resurrection. And because you believe, now you see. Folks, this morning, if you can't think back to that time, don't leave this place still a blind person. Don't leave this place this morning without your sight. Because God's still opening the eyes of the blind every single day. If you do have your sight and you do see, how are we doing in telling our one? How are we doing in telling everybody we can, hey, you won't believe this, but I used to be blind and now I can see. I used to be dead, but now I am alive. This morning, if you find yourself in the category of these Pharisees who find this all too far-fetched to believe, don't let the message of the Gospel, don't let your own stubbornness and pride push you further from the message of hope that is in Jesus Christ. There are no eyes that are too blind that He can't give sight to them. No matter how dead or how blind you are this morning, Jesus can heal and revive you. Would you believe on Him today? Would you trust in Him to open your eyes? If He says go to the pool of Siloam, would you go? Would you wash and be made clean? Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank You that You still give blind people sight. That, Lord, You still love me enough that even though I was blind, even though I was dead, You breathed Your life into me. You opened my eyes. So many of my brothers and sisters here in this room can say the same thing. Lord, Ricky can say that same thing, that he was blind and now he can see. Father, help us to remember that story. Remember what it was like to be blind. And tell everyone we can what it's like to see. Show them how they might have sight as well. Tell everyone that we used to be dead, but now we are alive and they can be too. This morning, Lord, if there is anyone sitting in this auditorium that is blind and dead, I pray that, Spirit, You would give them sight and raise them to new life that they might believe in You. Lord, some of us need to repent. Some of us needed to just remember our story. But Spirit, as we sing a song, would You move among us? Would You stir our hearts towards obedience to You? We ask that You would take this time of invitation and use it for Your glory. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.